Friends, we are indeed in Acts chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses from that chapter. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were with them in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us and that you will show us what it means to trust in you and what it means to follow after the life you would have us live. You do this by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, and so we ask afresh for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friend, if you're a Christian and you are the age of 12 or older, then you have probably asked this question about a billion times, and that is, what is God's will for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Has anybody asked that question? I hope you have asked that question. Of course we have. What what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to live What kind of job does he want me to have? Where should I go? Who should I connect with? Who should I marry? And if God really does have an opinion about all of these things, couldn't he just write them on a three by five card and stick them under my pillow like the tooth fairy and I'll just find it and do it? Searching the will of God just creates a bunch of anxiety for us. We want to get it right. We want to do it proper. We want to obey. And it creates all kinds of anxiety for us. It has in my life, and I know it's in my marriage, and I know it does for many of us, but the Bible says it actually doesn't have to. If you notice, there's a ton of decisions that need to be made in our passage with this team. Paul's grabbing this team, and they're ready to go, but there's a bunch of decisions, like, What is the right purpose? Do we stay in Antioch and teach? Or do we go out and start new churches? Or do we go back to the churches we've already planted and strengthen them? They're trying to find the right people, as we heard about last time. Barnabas, John, Mark, Silas, now Timothy and Luke. Who do we take? Who are the right people? And then what's the right place? I mean, you find this team kind of meandering between Europe and Asia, discerning where they should go and what they should do. So this morning, we actually get to take a break from our anxiety about God's will for our life and watch other believers have anxiety about God's will for their life. So relax this morning and watch the church squirm, and in doing so, we might see how God is leading us in the same way he leads them. 
before we can jump with both feet into the text, we need to take a step back when it comes to the will of God and understand this theologically. I'm going to give us a dense theological explanation of the will of God that theologians have used. Many have used this threefold will of God before. I don't know who came up with it. It wasn't me. But this is how we think about the will of God. That God has a will of decree, then he has a will of desire, then he has a will of direction. I want you to write those down. There is a pop quiz. God has a will of decree, he has a will of desire, and he has a will of direction. Not all the same way in, we, in which we talk about God's will. So let's understand each of those before we jump into our passage. Number one, God has a will of decree, and that's his eternal will in all creation, accomplishing his purposes in ways only known to him. Every event, every shift in world politics, every scientific discovery, every global catastrophe, every milestone in our lives is held in the hands of God to accomplish his perfect will on earth as it is in heaven. That's what places like Ephesians 4.11 refer to when it says he works all things together for the counsel of his will. That's his will of decree. When something happens in our world or in our nation or in our lives and we ask the question, what is God's will in this? What could possibly be God's will in this thing that's happening? Be assured he has a will that will cannot be thwarted. It will glorify him as the story comes together, but he rarely reveals that will to us. We may just not know. So he has a will of decree, but number two, he also has a will of desire. God's will of desire is what he desires us to do, and all of that is laid out plainly in Scripture. This is what I want you to do. This is my will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God. What is it? What is God's will? Your sanctification. That's what my will is for you. So God has given us in our Bibles absolutely everything we need to know to have a relationship with him through Jesus to follow this abundant life that Jesus speaks about, to grow up happy and whole in him. All of that is plainly written in his Bible for us to read, discern, obey, and follow after. So God's will of decree, like the 411, Ephesians 4.11 will of decree, that can't be thwarted, but God's will of desire, he can tell us to do something and we can wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm feeling very unsanctified in this moment. We can resist God's will of desire, but whether we follow it or learn about it or memorize it or don't, it is here plainly for us to see. So take those two big wills together. You got his will of decree in creation. You got his will of desire in scripture. That is what is referred to in that famous verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Whenever I think about that verse, I think about the funny story that uh, an author said when he was speaking that he would always sign his books at a book signing, you know, from so-and-so, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But then one day he was having an off day and he signed everybody's books, Deuteronomy 28, 28, 
not 29.29. And he realized it on the last book. And then he said, you know what? It's all God's word and what could go wrong? Nobody looks at those scripture references anyway. Deuteronomy 28.28 is, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. That's a verse, I'm gonna preach on that next week. That's another verse. But Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. What are the secret things? That is his will of decree that is moving in the world, whether you know it or see it or not. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. That's his will of desire. Decree and desire, they're in one verse. So you have those two wills, which leaves number three, God's will of direction the particulars of my life, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go. And here's the great irony. I think when we talk about God's will, what is God's will and what is God doing and what does God want me to do, we spend most of our time on number three when it is the least important of the three wills of God. We spend most of our attention thinking about the particulars when most of the emphasis on scripture is on God's will of decree and his will of desire. It is all here for us to do, but we mostly focus on that. And so we have to understand that that that's what we lean towards when we think about God's will. Once we have those in our mind, let's approach the passage and see how do they operate within the will of God? How are they following the will of God? Well, we know that the church is committed to God's will of desire because they base what they're doing on God's word. From the earliest scenes in Acts, we heard that the church was gathering corporately like we're doing and in small groups, and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the entire purpose of Paul's journey in chapter 16 is to go to these church plants and to teach them the Bible so that they will know God's expressed, revealed will for them. And wherever that's taught and wherever that's understood and wherever we're standing on scripture, verse five is saying it strengthens the churches and grows their number. It's gonna grow the body deep and wide. You look at this will that's clearly expressed and it will grow us deep and wide. So my question, church, for all of us is, do I spend more time thinking and wondering and worrying about God's will of direction for my life than God's will of desire? Do I think and worry more about the particulars about where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do, who I'm going to marry, how I'm going to get there, than I do on this God-breathed map of his will for my life? Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Is it a light to your path? Is it guiding your way? 2 Peter 1, 3 says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do I believe this? Do I study this, memorize this, walk in this full provision for life and godliness? Friends, may we be a church devoted to the apostles' teaching as it is found in this book, 
corporately and in our growth groups and around our dining room tables and in my armchair early first thing in the morning gleaning God's good and perfect will for my life, striving in the spirit to be at the dead center of his revealed will of desire for me. Here it is for us to follow and obey and live our lives after. But even as we're doing that, and even as we're focused on his word, there is his will of the particulars and the direction of my life. That's not covered in the Bible, where I should go and what I should do. And Paul and his team, they have the Bible and they're teaching the Bible, but they still don't know these particulars. And so God's will of direction is not everything, but it's not nothing. It's not all-consuming as sometimes we make it, but it's still important for us to know, am I doing what God wants me to do? And I think this is the crux of the matter. When you think about that third will, that will of direction, is God's will a tightrope or is it a horizon? Is God's will a tightrope or is it a horizon? In other words, is God's will a tightrope? Does he have a singular idea for your life, where you go, what you do, who you marry, what job you have, but he doesn't ever say it to you. You just have to guess it. And there are times that you fall to the left and fall to the right. And when Jesus appears and all is revealed, he's gonna say, I know that you were a math teacher in Columbia, but gee, I kind of thought you'd be a computer programmer in Arizona, you know? My will went right, you went left, no hard feelings, enter the kingdom. Like, that's kind of how we talk about God's will. Like, I'm falling off, am I in it, am I out of it? Am I doing the direction he has for me? But does the Bible speak about that in any way, shape, or form? Or is his will a horizon? Like, if I have the Bible, and if I have God's people, and if I have the Spirit leading me, then his will is the horizon, and I just begin to put one foot in front of the other following his will for my life, whether I'm in Arizona or Columbia at the end. Well, Paul and his team, they need to wrestle with that because they have those decisions to make. And so for that third will, the will of direction, they are going to lean on God's people and they're gonna lean on God's leading. You see both of those in our text, God's people and God's leading. So first of all, they're leaning on God's people. What are God's people saying? God's people reveal his will. If you wanna be a pastor in our denomination, the first step you take is to sit in front of a bunch of other pastors in our denomination and they ask for your internal and your external call. What's that? Internal, do you have a desire in and of yourself to be a pastor? Do you want to do this? Do you long to do this? Do you have the right motives for this? Can you do anything else in the world? Please do anything else in the world. But if you can't, then you have this desire to be a pastor. And then what's the external call? I heard you do the talking. What does your church say about you? Do they see these gifts? Do they see this ambition? Do they see this character within you? What are we asking there? We're asking for God's people to give us counsel, godly counsel on God's will. What does the church say? That actually happens twice in our passage. The first time is in chapter 15, verse 40. They're trying to discern what the right purpose is and what they should do. And they say, hey, what if we went and taught all the churches that we had already planted? And the church comes around them and says, yes, 
this is a good idea. This is what we should be doing. They commend Paul and Silas to the ministry that they have. If the church had said this is not the right time or the right place or you guys aren't the right guys, we would not have Acts chapter 16. We would listen to God's counsel and we would do something else. Second time it comes up is in verse two. They're always looking for the right people. They find Timothy and verse two says he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So you've got little Timothy being introduced here and he's dying to tag along with Paul and his missionary team and he has this internal desire, but what do we wait and hear? What is the external call? What does the church say about you? And if the church in Lystra and Iconium says Timothy doesn't do anything, I mean, he's here to be served, but not to serve. I've never seen him show up early. I've never seen him greet anybody. I've never heard him share the gospel with anyone. Well, then Timothy would have a very short-lived dream to join the team he'd be sitting at home at Lystra because God's people are going to speak into this and tell us what God's will is in this situation I know many of you are studying the book of Proverbs in your growth group Proverbs is chock full of this wisdom in an abundance of counselors there is safety A wise man listens to advice. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. If I have godly people around me, they will help me see God's will for my life. Now, I need to give a little warning, church, because not all community is created equal. Not all Christian community is created equal. I am convinced that I can find a Christian community who will tell me anything I want to hear, right? I spend time over here, and and these guys are too much in their Bibles, so I spend time over here, and these people confronted me about sin, so I moved over here, and finally I found this group of people. They never contradict me. They never disagree with me. They're always behind me. They love me for who I am. That's the community I surround myself with, and that's the people that tell me time in and time out, go for it, go for it, go for it. That becomes my permit to do what I want to do so that when I show up in this actual flesh and blood present local church community, I can always say, well, I've got this super sweet, secret, private, non-church peer group community that looks, dress, acts, and votes the same way I do and then said I could do it. So the elders, the pastor, the growth group, they can't say anything because I've got this private community. Watch out, church. Not all community is created equal. Christian, do you walk with the wise? Do you have an abundance of counselors? And of those counselors, are any of them members of this local church who see you week in and week out and can speak into your life? So you've got God's will of desire, which is found in his word. You've got his will of direction. And one place that's speaking into it is his people. And the other place in our passage is God's leading. So in verses 6 through 10, um, the major direction, the major influence of God's will is God's act of leading. Twice his Holy Spirit blocks their way once Paul sees a vision. 
And we don't know exactly the particulars of how the Holy Spirit is doing this and the Spirit of Jesus. We don't know, is he speaking audibly? Is he giving them an impression? Is he simply closing a door? We don't know the details, but clearly God is leading. And in my life and probably in your life, we have seen the full spectrum of believers who are led by the Holy Spirit. So like I know devout, mature, wonderful believers who read and breathe this word who would say they've never really heard the Holy Spirit tell them specifically anything outside the Bible. Never to go here, never to speak to that person, never to do this. Like I know those people and I trust those people and I love those people. On the full other end of the spectrum, we got friends who hear from the Holy Spirit every single day. I mean, he's telling you what to wear and where to go and what word or word to guess. I mean, he is present, he's active, he's moving, he's doing stuff. I've heard the full direction and I'm not ready to jump in and say when the Spirit is speaking and when he's not, but clearly he does speak and he does lead. There's a great book on discerning God's will, uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something. And in that book, he tells the unfortunate story of his roommate who's dating a girl and she dumps him and she said, the Holy Spirit told me to do that. And Kevin was like, man, I've been dumped by a lot of girls, but you got dumped by the third person of the Trinity. That, that's pretty tough, man. That's, that's hard to come back from. Well, we don't know how the Spirit is doing this, but clearly from our passage and from others, there are times, not even in every scene in Paul's life, the Spirit appears to be speaking by inner impressions or giving a strong desire or closing doors or giving special guidance. In our passage, at least one of the times, the special guidance is given altogether. Verse seven, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So it's not just the guy out in front saying, I heard from the Lord, let's go do this. It was the community saying, we are hearing from the Lord, let's do this. And it's not really even a clear straight line. Like if you had watched the team in verses six through 10 bouncing between Europe and Asia, you would have wondered if the spirit was even there, but the spirit is leading gently from place to place. And so we know that God does this. He actually speaks through his spirit and he does guide us together. So I'm gonna admit right now that this has been a ton. I mean, I hit you before we even started with some systematic theology, the three wills of God. Then we tried to see it in our passage. That's a lot to take in. So I'm gonna take a step back and bring it all together in kind of a final thought. The crux of the matter is this. Though God's will of direction might be a question mark for us as it was for Paul, Paul's team is not waiting for clear, infallible, audible speaking of the Holy Spirit. They lean on his word, they lean on his people, and they just begin to walk forward into the providence of God's will. Sometimes wondering about God's will can freeze us from doing anything, and the team just gets about their business until the Spirit says, don't go here, come over here. This past summer, my daughter and I were reading a book on, um, it was a memoir of a girl who just did this radically generous thing. 18-year-old, moved to a different country, started an orphanage, just gave her life and her money and her time away. It was a hugely convicting book. I had scruples about some of the theology, but I just shut my big mouth because this girl's doing stuff I would never do. And I read it, my daughter read it, we were super convicted, we put the book down, we said we gotta do something. And so 
my daughter's just a little kid. She's just 12. She doesn't know much, but I'm a pastor. I have knowledge about this. So I took this and I began to pray on it. And I had an idea and I didn't like the idea. So I prayed some more. And then I thought, should I work locally with my generosity? And then I thought, well, maybe it should be more international. And I came up with a few groups to give to. And I didn't end up giving to any of those groups because I wanted to pray about it some more. And I'm still praying about it. And my daughter reads this book and puts it down and goes and gets her piggy bank and says, here, take this and give it to the ministry we support in South Sudan. Which believer is running full on into the wide providence of God and which believer is still at the starting line looking for a tightrope that doesn't exist? How do we respond to what we think is God's will? My point is that sometimes searching for God's precise will of direction, it can be a form of passivity and disobedience. We can search and search and wait and wait, and we want a personal, audible invitation for something we should just be doing anyway, and we become passive. Kevin DeYoung says this in his book, and he says it with some heat. He says this, passivity is a plague among Christians. It's not just that we don't do anything, it's that we feel spiritual for not doing anything. We imagine that our inactivity is patience and sensitivity to God's leading. At times it may be, but it's also quite possible we're just lazy. Perhaps inactivity is not so much waiting on God as it is an expression of the fear of man, the love of the praise of man, and disbelief in God's providence. Dang. I don't know how you say things like that and still have a church. But hear me, believer, as you discern God's will, his will of decree is at work in the world, be assured. His will of desire is here for you to understand which leaves his will of direction to take it and run with it, hear this encouragement. You are Christ's and Christ is yours. When you are united to God in Christ, you are at the dead center of his will. And when you have his people, his word, his spirit leading you, you can't drift far from the will of God. So take that assurance and with humble confidence, Begin to walk and labor in the wide horizon of God's providence. And let's do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you do lead and you do guide. You've not left us with a single thing we do not know to walk out of here and pursue the will of God, which is our sanctification which is the Great Commission, which is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your people as ourselves, and to love the lost. All of these are things are laid before us. And so I pray you would give us this humble courage to walk into the wide horizon of your providence and do your will today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.